Crenshaw, Chapter 26 During the afternoon rush hour the next day, my dad returned to the same corner with his new sign. It was drizzling again, and gray clouds hung low in the sky. I waited in the car with my mom and Robin and Aretha. My mom had just gotten off work at Rite Aid. She said two people were out sick, which meant she was the only cashier. People in line were grumpy, she said. Why didn't they just read the inquirer and wait their turns? A driver in a red SUV rolled down his window. He smiled and said something to my dad. They both nodded. My dad tucked the sign under his arm and held out his hands till they were about two feet apart. I'll bet dad's telling him about that trout at the lake, I said to my mom. She smiled and exaggerating. Is that the same as lying, I asked. No, not when it's fish-related, said my mom. When the light changed, the driver handed my dad money and waved as he pulled away. After about an hour, he'd collected a bunch of dollar bills, also a big cup of coffee and a sack with two slices of lemon pound cake in it. My sign was a soggy mess. My mom flattened the bills on her lap. Fifty-six dollars, she announced, and eighty-three cents, my dad added. My parents shared the coffee. I split the pound cake with Robin. Then I climbed to the back. Aretha was tail-thumping hopefully. When no one was looking, I gave her my whole piece. It was windy and cold, and the rain had come back hard. We listened to the radio as tiny rivers zigzagged down the glass. A new man went to the stand on the corner. His sign said, Vet. God bless. A small, poodly-looking dog was nestled in his half-zip jacket. I still think you should take Aretha with you next time, Dad, I said. I bet we'll make even more money. He didn't answer. I figured he was listening to the radio announcer. She was warning that the chance of rain was 80%, so it was a good night to stay inside. A summer day camp bus stopped at the light. Its windows were fogged up. I saw some kids had hunched down in case I knew them. Oh, I saw some kids and hunched down in case I knew them. Someone had drawn a smiley face with a word by it. Hello! I decided, but it was hard to tell. I was on the outside, so everything was backward. Aretha licked my sticky hand. Next time, my mom said, leaning her head on my dad's shoulder, I'll do it. No, he answered so softly I almost couldn't hear him. No, you won't. Chapter 27 The next evening Crenshaw appeared. All of him, not just his tail. We were at a rest stop off Highway 101 sitting at a picnic table. Cheetos and water for dinner, my mom said. She sighed. I'm a bad, bad mother. Not a lot of options at a vending machine on the 101, my dad said. He had hung a pair of his underwear on a nearby bush to dry. Sometimes we washed our clothes in the sinks of the bathrooms. I tried not to look at the underwear. (laughs) After we ate, I headed to a patch of grass under a pine tree. I lay down and stared at the darkening sky. I could see my parents, and they could see me, but at least I felt like I was a little bit on my own. I loved my family, but I was also tired of my family. I was tired of being hungry. I was tired of sleeping in a box. I missed my bed. I missed my books and Legos. I even missed my bathtub. Those were the facts. A gentle breeze set the grass dancing. The stars spun. I heard the sound of wheels on gravel and sat up on my elbows. I recognized the tail first. Meow, said the cat. Meow, I said back. 
because it seemed polite. Chapter 28. We lived in our van for 14 weeks. Some days we drove from place to place. Some days we just parked and sat. We weren't going anywhere. We just knew we weren't going home. I guess getting out of homelessness doesn't happen all at once either. We were lucky. Some people live in their cars for years. I'm not looking on the bright side. It was pretty scary and stinky, but my parents took care of us the best they could. After a month, my dad got a part-time job at a hardware store. My mom picked up some extra waitressing shifts, and my dad kept singing for tips. Every time his fishing sign got wet, I made him a new one. Slowly, they started saving money, bit by bit, to pay for a rental deposit on an apartment. It was sort of like getting over a cold. Sometimes you feel like you'll never stop coughing. Other times, you're sure tomorrow is the day you'll definitely be well. When they finally put money together, my parents moved us to Swan Lake Village. It was about 40 miles from our old house, which meant I had to start at a new school. I didn't care at all. At least I was going back to school, a place where facts mattered and things made sense. Instead of a house, we moved into a small, tired-looking apartment. It seemed like a palace to us. A place where you could be warm and dry and safe. I started school late, but eventually I made new friends. I never told them about the time we were homeless. Not even Marisol. I just couldn't. If I never talked about it, I felt like it couldn't ever happen again. Chapter 29 Crenshaw and I didn't chat much during those weeks on the road. There was always someone around to interrupt us, but that was okay. I knew he was there, and that was enough. Sometimes it's all you really need from a friend. When I think about that time, what I remember most of all is Crenshaw riding on top of our minivan. He'd stare out the window at the world blurring past, and every so often I'd get to catch a glimpse of his tail riding the wind like it was the end of a kite. I'd feel hopeful then, for, for a while at least, that things would get better, that maybe, just maybe, anything was possible. Chapter 30. I guess for most kids, imaginary friends just sort of fade away the way dreams do. I've asked people when their imaginary friends stopped hanging around, and they never seem to remember. Everybody said the same thing. I guess I just outgrew him. But I lost Crenshaw all of a sudden after things got back to normal. It was like when you have a favorite t-shirt that you've worn forever. One day you put it on and surprise, your belly button is showing. You don't remember growing too big for your shirt, but sure enough, there's your belly button sticking out for the whole world to see. The day he left, Crenshaw walked to school with me. He did that most mornings, unless he wanted to stay home and watch Blue's Clues reruns. We stopped at the playground. I was telling him about how I wanted to get a real cat someday. That was before I found out my parents were extremely allergic to cats. Crenshaw stood on his head. Then he did a cartwheel. He was an excellent cartwheeler. When he came to a stop, he gave me a grumpy look. I'm a cat, he said. I know, I said. I'm a real cat, his tail whipped up and down. I mean, I said, you know, a cat other people can see. 
He batted a paw at a yellow butterfly. I could tell he was ignoring me. A bunch of big guys, fourth and fifth graders, walked by. They pointed at me and laughed, making cuckoo circles with their fingers. Who are you talking to, doofus, one asked. And then he snort laughed. <laughs> that is my least favorite kind of laughing. I, pretend, I pretended not to hear him. I knelt down and tied my shoe like it was a very important thing I had to do. My face was hot. My eyes were wet. I'd never been embarrassed about having an imaginary friend until that moment. I waited. The boys moved on. Then I heard someone else approaching. She wasn't walking. More like skip dancing. Hey, I'm Marisol, said the girl. I'd seen her at recess before. She had long, dark, crazy hair and an unusually large smile. I have a Tyrannosaurus backpack just like yours. I'm going to be a paleontologist when I grow up, which means... I know what it means, I said. I want to be one, too. Or maybe a bat scientist. Her smile got even bigger. I'm Jackson, I said, and I stood. When I looked around me, I realized that Crenshaw had vanished. Chapter 31. I've sometimes wondered if I was kind of old to have an imaginary friend. Crenshaw didn't even show up in my life until the end of first grade. So one day at the library, I looked it up. Turns out somebody did a study on children and their imaginary friends. Fact is, 31% of them had an imaginary friend at age 6 or 7, even more than 3- and 4-year-olds. Maybe I wasn't so old after all. In any case, Crenshaw had excellent timing. He came into my life just when I needed him. It was a good time to have a friend, even if he was imaginary.